0: Well kia ora, everyone and welcome on to this short little episode where I've pulled out some extracts of the conversation that I had with Francis Valentine. I know some of you appreciate having some snack sized versions of the interviews, so I'm trying to do those from time to time. And in this one we hear from Francis with some thoughts about finding your purpose and what job titles really mean. I hope you
1: enjoy it. We have one of our programs here um, that we teach and which is you know part of my, my, my journey is, is being involved with education. Mm. Um, is as a, as a postgraduate program and leading change for good. And one of the things we, we ask students to think about on day one is think about this idea of I am me. And if you were to introduce yourself to a stranger, how do you do that without saying that you are a parent or your job? So take away this idea that those, those things, are you know, husband, wife, mother, you know, you know, whatever your job is, and talk about the things that you are. You know, I'm a person who's passionate about design and and good food, and I'm passionate about community, and I love animals. And you know, of course, you can talk about you love your kids and things too. But but it's as actually saying, but actually this it's this idea that your first of all your job, you know, how many people are interested? In, oh, I I work for, or I'm you know I'm a banker or whatever it might be, and it becomes a default that these these things define us. And I think it is it's really great to be able to stop and say. Who am I if I was not that? Because that can be taken away. And, and we know in, in a year like this year, when you know, people, really good talented people have lost jobs and, and sectors have, have you know, gone astray, that that doesn't define anybody. It gives you a chance to, to regather and think about who you are again, but, but actually you've changed in a good way, that actually you've learned something, you've, you've got great memories and now it's a chance to, to do something different.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I just interviewed someone named Jesse Cross who started an initiative called the Not So Redundant Club for nice. people who have lost their positions, their titles, their jobs. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we were talking about was the fact that redundancy is such an awful term to use about people. And yet, you know, I've been made redundant. What is that? If you break down what the word redundant means, it's about oh, you think don't of it that, it anymore. it's no longer able to be used. And that's not at all the way we should be conceiving it. In fact, that that losing a position, which is, you know, the business card title and things, perhaps it will unlock that person to pursue the curiosity and and find something that really resonates so that they can, you know, go in a different direction.
1: And Stephen, one of the things I talk to a lot of mature adults about this whole area, you know, I I talk to people. All, all of our students here are full-time, empl- employed full-time and they study part-time. Mm. And the number of them who say, oh, I'm actually waiting to be made redundant. And I pick them up on this and say, why in the earth would you wait to be made redundant? Mm. And they said, well, I know that there's a big restructures going on, so I'm going to be basically the last man standing or last woman standing, and then I'm, I'm going to negotiate the best deal. And I said, well, why don't you turn it around? Like, everybody knows, you know, when they, when they hit their kind of natural end point within a role it could be that there's nowhere else to go you've done everything you possibly can you've stopped your learning edge has been hit at that point that is the best time to go to your employer and say hey i've done this amount of time two years five years 10 years 20 years whatever it might be it's time for me to move on you know what can you do to help me transition into this next phase
0: right. now if
1: you've been a good employee most employers will say right well let's let's, let's plan it is this a, you know, you want to be gone in a month? You want to be gone in two months? You want to be gone in six months? What is it? We well, Let's work. How, you know, what kind of work? Who can we help you? You know, it's amazing how how forward employers will be about supporting people when, they, when they've sort of said, I think you've got, you know, you've got the full me you're going to get. Yeah. And actually be really proactive about that and actually make that choice. And it, it could also agree in, in terms of, it, it could also involve having some form of payment you know, and again, a good employer probably will find you know a payment of some form. But this idea of waiting to be made redundant, you know, just like to your point is such a negative connotation and, and to carry that and thinking, you know, my use by data, I'm just going to define it. But when my employer tells me I'm no longer needed, it hmm. um, has to be, you know, one of the most kind of sad things I think we could possibly do as humans.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the, but then taking the other perspective, you, you can understand it in terms of security the income's coming in. So that's why people would naturally not want to be proactive, maybe. But I, I completely agree with you, if you can be proactive. But from, from my perspective, I was working in an international law firm and, and, you know, working multinational deals. It was really exciting. I enjoyed it. But at some point, I realized this isn't where I want to be in terms of the country. I was in Sydney at that time. And so I did go to the employer. But part of it was feeling like the amount that I was being paid and things was almost like handcuffs. Like I was tied, uh, they were paying me in gold, but it was in the shape of golden handcuffs and, you know, realizing that I had to actually be a bit, be willing to uh, step into the unknown and not have that security there as well and, and go into something slightly different and, you know, do what I do today, which is more, impact driven legal work so yeah it's, it's,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's funny I, um, a year ago we were doing some executive training for um, leaders inside a bank and they were all talking about the same thing about you know that they they're paid so well within those environments and these corporate offices that it's really hard to lead to go into things that are for impact or you know more kind of sort of purpose led and and so I said to them well would you consider doing a four day week so that you've got time to start exploring and I said yeah but then you need to take a 20% pay cut and so you know i put it back to saying okay so you say let's just say on round terms you're on $100,000 so you're saying you can't live on $80,000 and they're like no I can't and I said okay so take the tax off that tell me what is going to change in your life so substantial you cannot give away one day a week to so get a three-day weekend which means you can start to find the things that give you that purpose and and so you may be transitioning And I'm yet to find a single person who's prepared to give away 20% of their salary for a four day week, even though they know that the the five day week is literally killing them because of the mental anxiety and the the heavy lifting mentally they have to do every day. So they're exhausted by the weekend. And so this is this idea that that money, well, and why $20,000 is a lot of money. Again, if you take off the 30% for tax, whatever it might be, actually, yes, it buys you things. But what would time give you that money can't give you? And and I think that this, this is it. Where people do follow these um, jobs where where people pay really well in a job over over the market norm by comparison to not for profit social enterprise for you know, for for purpose. It's because they want to keep you. <laughs> There's a reason for it. They you know they know that it's going to be a hard sell if they were to pay a lot less, and so there is a trade-off and a trade-off sometimes comes at the cost of people's lives and health. And, um, you know, some of the things that are sacrificed in that process of just chasing dollars. And so, yeah. you know,
0: I, I agree with you. I mean, we are kind of agreeing with each other a lot, but maybe we're talking to similar people and seeing similar situations. The thing that I find helpful to ask people or to mention, so I'll mention it in case I'm sure you do this as well, but to ask the question when you're 95 years old and you look back on your life, what will you regret? And if the answer is, well, why did I continue for the next five or 10 years in that particular position that I knew wasn't where I wanted to be, then forget about the money. The, the zeros really don't matter. You know, you really need to evaluate so that you at the end of life, which happens to all of us, <laughs> can look back with satisfaction that you actually lived in a purposeful and meaningful way.
1: Like It's a really good way of framing it. And I think you know, and or, or you know, uh, you know, we all hope we lived in 95 and be, be healthy into that stage. But actually, we know not all, all of us will have that, that luxury. And so, you know, I don't think anybody on their deathbed, no matter what age they are, would wish they worked more yeah. or worked for something that they didn't really feel particularly passionate about.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for listening in to that short little snippet. Obviously, there's a much longer version of the whole interview in the show notes. So make sure you check that out as well. And there's heaps more content in the back catalogue, too. Until next time.